0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me as always, Justin Mello. And the Titans have a new general manager. We're going to get into that, some other hiring stuff, and and some rumors about the other open positions. How's it going, Justin?
1: Doing well. Um, Last week when we recorded... Uh, there was, They were just reporting, essentially during our recording, they were reporting that the Titans were moving on to the second wave of interviews, and hours later they hired a general manager. So clearly, I think the reporting was probably a little behind the eight ball. Right. I think it's, it's safe to assume. And that made us, obviously, throw off our timeline a little bit, right, as, as we recorded that episode in the middle of all that and sort of said, oh, here are your finalists, and maybe they'll have a general manager by the time we record the next episode, and 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 lo and behold, just hours later, they had a general manager.
0: Right. So it is Ran Carthon, most recently of the San Francisco 49ers. We talked a lot on the last episode about the similarities and team building philosophies that we've noticed between the Niners and the titans so we think that he can bring a good amount of experience and and you know bolster this roster to where it needs to be to contend for championships and that's what he talked about in his opening press conference but before we get into sort of his philosophies and the things that he mentioned we'll we'll cover some of the highlights of his introductory press conference let's just briefly go through carthon's background so he was a, a running back in the NFL for a few seasons, a bottom of the roster, depth kind of guy. Didn't get a lot of like he didn't really play a lot as an offensive player. After he graduated from the University of Florida, he was with the Colts for a few years. was with the Lions uh, towards the second half of 2006, and then he retired. You know, he wasn't really making it in the league as a player, but. Apparently, we found out in his opening press conference that he had told his wife, even back when he was in college, uh, still at Florida as a running back, that his dream one day was to be an NFL general manager. And she kind of laughed at him and said, I don't want to be with someone who's living in la-la land. And now, Rand Carthon is a general manager. But after uh, his playing days, he was hired by Thomas Dimitrov of the Atlanta Falcons as a pro scout. He spent four seasons there, kind of learning the Dimitrov way, which was a uh, New England style system similar to what the Titans did with John Robinson, who also grew up in that system. And then he was hired uh, by the St. Louis Rams when they were still in St. Louis in 2012 under general manager Les Sneed and spent five years in St. Louis as the director of player personnel. Then, when John Lynch was hired as the GM in San Francisco, Carthon was hired there as the director of pro personnel and promoted four years later to director of player personnel in 2021. Spent two seasons doing that, and now here he is as the Titans general manager. Pretty quick rise, I would say. Um, overall, still a relatively young man, a pretty dashing man, if I do say so myself. I think he and Mike Vrabel could form one of the strongest like, wrestling teams in the NFL between GM head coach duos, but it seems like you know this was his dream. It's a dream come true for him, happy for him, and I think the Titans got a good general manager that's going to help turn this team, you know, back into a, a real title contender.
1: Yeah, certainly excited about the hire. I think he certainly won the press conference and we we know that doesn't count for much, but I was very impressed with with the way he handled himself and and, and the way he answered questions. Like what he's done in San Francisco. I had identified him a long time ago as a potential candidate uh, a long time ago when they fired John Robinson, I had identified him as a potential candidate. I thought the Titans would have interest in, I I had written an article highlighting uh, some potential external candidates and immediately was, was taken aback by his resume and really impressed. So I I was really happy to see that they, uh, they did identify him as a candidate, interviewed him and ultimately gave him the job for me from the very beginning, um, when we when they identified, it was eight candidates initially, including the internal ones. I felt like he was the strongest um, external candidate on their list. I know a lot of people really liked Ian Cunningham, the Bears assistant general manager, and I liked him too. But there was something that, that struck me about, about Rand that, that I thought sort of gave him the upper hand um, here. I, I think he had interviewed for GM jobs last year as well, or at least had one interview uh, which sort of set Ian Cunningham aside. I jumped through, uh, down a rabbit hole um, of GM hirings. And it seems like everyone that gets hired at least went through one cycle of interviewing, didn't get a job. And then once they returned for a second set of interviews, in a second cycle, that's when they typically get hired. So I think for Ian Cunningham, this was a really good process for him to go through this for the first time. And I bet you see Ian Cunningham get a job next offseason as a general manager and that sort of trend will continue. I do think that sort of gave Ran a bit of an upper hand here. And I'm certainly excited to see what he does. And I'm excited to jump into some philosophy-based things with you, things we noticed from the presser. And there's also one thing I, I want to get off my chest. I, I've seen a lot of people sort of hyping up on Twitter. I think it's a little misfounded, a little mis guided, not to throw a wet blanket on it, but I'm excited to discuss that with you.
0: Alright, so let's get into it. Let's let's talk about some of the top takeaways from that presser, and I'll start with one that jumps out to me that has uh, generated a lot of discussion on Twitter, which is, Ran was asked directly, do you think a team can be successful built around a running back? And he said, so, he didn't say really yes or no to that question, but he kind of said, I think it's possible because When you get into the cold weather season and the playoffs, especially, and, you know, passing becomes more challenging, you have to be able to run the football to win football games and especially in the playoffs. And I think that that is something that, you know, I've I've found that to be true myself throughout the years of of watching the sport. And I think it kind of played out this past weekend in the divisional round when we saw, you know, a team like the Buffalo Bills who can throw it all around the yard as well as any team in the league. But when push comes to shove and you need to run the ball and you need to establish, you know, field position and staying ahead of the chains early, early down success and being able to maintain a lead late in the game, we saw the Bengals easily able to maintain their lead and never really be challenged by Buffalo because they were successful running the ball and Buffalo couldn't stop them. On the other side, Buffalo, you know, started the game with some three and outs, couldn't really get much going because they didn't have success running the ball. And Buffalo, you know, over the last couple seasons has struggled to run the ball and we've seen you know, divisional round playoff exits for them in back-to-back years, largely because of that. So I think that this was kind of a like a baiting question to try to get Rand to comment on the future of Derrick Henry and the future of the offensive philosophy in Tennessee. And he smartly answered the question by dodging those, you know, traps, but also said that, yeah, you can build around a running back and you need to be able to run the football to be successful. So what did you take away from that comment?
1: Yeah, I've got two thoughts on that. Every Titans fan on Twitter immediately said, oh my God, it's going to be the same, right? It's Derrick Henry, it's run, run, uh, pass, punt, whatever. But I, I agree with n- number one. First of all, he comes from the San Francisco 49ers. They're very effing good at running the football, right? <laughs> right. Like, but Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson... Now Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, like besides McCaffrey, obviously they've been able to insert like sixth, seventh round UDFA running backs in and out of the lineup, have a lot of success running the football, and it's kept them, it's it's helped keep them very competitive without a high end starting quarterback, which you and I talked about last week. You know Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, they've gone to a Super Bowl, multiple championship games now largely because they're effectively run the football and it's Kyle Shanahan's offensive scheme, what the offensive line's been able to do there again, very similar outside zone based offense, although they are starting to sprinkle in, I thought a lot of alternative looks uh, in San Francisco, but this is a a franchise that's run the football with a lot of success and they've had a lot of team success, you know, partially because of that. So I I think you'd be silly to think, you know, ran and he played running back at Florida. He played running back in the NFL. Like I think it'd be really silly to think he's got no appreciation for running the football. But it doesn't mean that this team doesn't want to get better passing the ball. I think it's very obvious they need to get better at passing the football. Mike Vrabel knows that. Rand Carthen knows that. And, and and secondly, you talked about the Bills-Bengals game. I agree with that assessment. Like, Devin Singletary, the Bills' starting running back, had six carries for 24 yards. <laughs> In a game that was, you know, close fairly throughout, Like it didn't get totally out of hand early. The Bills kind of crawled back into it. After jumping down, after uh, falling behind fourteen nothing, so it's not like they had to abandon the run. Uh, they just did because they're not very good at it, right? right? And again, and of course, you've got a, you know it helps when you have Josh Allen at quarterback. But you know what, the Bengals have Joe Burrow at quarterback and Joe Mixon at over a hundred rushing yards and a touchdown on twenty carries. Joe Mixon averaged 5.3 yards per carry. Samaje Pirine averaged nearly five yards a carry on seven rushing attempts. So that's 27 rushing attempts between their two running backs. And Joe Burrow had six scrambles, by the way. And they handed the ball off once to Jamar Chase on, I think, it was an end around, if I'm remembering correctly. Um... So, yeah, the Bengals, they also threw it all over the yard and and had a lot of success throwing it. But I did think they did a really good job running Joe Mixon. And you know what? When they did, they were setting up second and two, second and three. They were ahead of the chains the entire time. They set themselves up in favorable situations. They won the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, perhaps most importantly. But, yes, they were able to control this game, dominate it from start to finish, largely by running the football, right? So I I don't think Rand said anything wrong. I don't think he said anything crazy. I don't think he said... We're going to run, run, pass, punt, and it's going to be Todd Downing all over again an offensive <laughs> coordinator. Like some Titans fans are overreacting on social media. Uh, I, I, I largely agreed with his assessment of running the football. And, you know, on that same note, the Niners,
0: we saw it in the Sunday night game. They struggled to run the ball in the first half because the Cowboys are a really good defense, but they stuck with that game plan. And in the second half, you know, they iced the game away late in that contest because they had success running the ball. And, you know, the Cowboys lost Tony Pollard. Obviously, that was a big deal, but the Niners able to run the ball, not only in that game last night, but since Brock Purdy took over as a quarterback and really the whole season, the Niners have been a great running team. It's made Brock Purdy look like you know one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year but a huge part of that is having second and third and shorts consistently almost every drive almost every third down is a third and short you know that makes it a lot easier on the quarterback he doesn't have to worry as much about you know quick pressure they're able to continue to disguise their looks and be so versatile with their personnel that you never know if it's a run or a pass and i think those are some of the philosophies we're going to see Carthon bring to Tennessee and honestly those are the like that aligns with the way Mike Vrabel has wanted to run this team it all goes back to what we talked about last week, where there's two ways to build a successful roster in the NFL. One is to, you know, land an elite quarterback, the hardest thing to do in sports. The other is to have a strong, you know, offensive and defensive line, run the ball well and stop the run well, put yourself in second and third and short, put the opponent in second and third and long. And, you know, the game gets a lot easier when you can do that.
1: And uh, and, and what you said there about landing an elite quarterback, I almost feel like it's more difficult nowadays than it was 10 15 years ago. And the reason I say that is like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, they're so good. Like getting a quarterback on that level, good luck to you, right? You you probably are better off trying to build a San Francisco 49ers type team, right? Where you've got this excellent supporting cast and and you can compete with the big dogs because you've got uh, a, a George Kittle, a Debo Samuel, a Brandon Ayuk, and Christian McCaffrey at the skill positions. And then you've got a, a terrific defense, which in all honesty, I don't think the Titans are that far off from from having the 49ers defense. Right? I think that they're fairly similar. San Francisco certainly a lot healthier down the stretch, I think helped them um, sort of maintain that defensive success that they've experienced. But um I know I, I, I ultimately agree with you that uh, it's very much in line with what we've been discussing lately on this show. Yeah, I'll throw something else
0: out from the press conference that I thought was really cool and interesting. and that was Carthon's story about drafting Elijah Mitchell. This was in a ref he was answering a question about analytics and how much analytics plays a part in the process, you know, that the forty ers had. and I thought Carthon was very open and honest about how things ran. He didn't try to like take credit for things that weren't his, but The word he kept using over and over again and the word that we talked about last week and like it's been the word of the buzzword of the titans since john robinson got fired basically was collaboration and he even said in his presser like i'm going to kill i'm going to use this word to death but you know it's all about collaboration he talked about in reference to analytics how one of their pro scouts came to him and said you know i've been studying this running back elijah mitchell according to our analytics system he is the best outside zone runner in this draft. And he's not being talked about as a top running back, and he's not going to go in the first two days. But he's a guy that I think could be really successful in our system. And Carthon said, that sounds amazing. Let me watch the tape and see if what I see on tape aligns with what the analytics say, which is obviously the best way to use analytics. You can't just rely on film study and non-analytics. You can't just rely on analytics without film study. They have to match. And we heard him say that you know they did match and they went to D'Amico Ryan's you know, on day three of the draft. And Elijah Mitchell's still sitting there. And, you know, in their pre-draft planning process, they had slotted that sixth round pick to be a linebacker. And they put on the tape of Elijah Mitchell in the war room. And uh D'Amico Ryans was watching the tape of Elijah Mitchell running in college and said, you know what, this running back is better than the linebacker that we were targeting with this pick and that whole collaborative process of you know offensive staff defensive staff scouting staff being on the same page and deciding to go with Elijah Mitchell who then carried the 49ers basically to the Super Bowl down the stretch in the 2019 season that was a really interesting story about you know how to use analytics where they have a, a place in the scouting process and then being collaborative and getting everybody on the same page to make what ended up being a very good draft pick
1: yeah, I thought when you initially said your biggest takeaway that led to some discussion, I thought this is the point you were initially mm-hmm. going to bring up because it certainly was an interesting story regarding Elijah Mitchell and who I really liked coming out of Louisiana at the time and uh, and, and sort of how analytics played a role in that. My biggest takeaway from that, obviously, is that Rand Carthen. Seems significantly more open to the use of analytics than John Robinson did, right? I think that's the most interesting takeaway here. Because whereas John Robinson was often very dismissive of analytics and all, honesty. I think it was was it last off season where he had a quote about analytics that was almost overly dismissive, and I remember it, it made some rounds on social media and to people. Wrote, I think John Robinson eventually admitted that. The wording was probably a bit too strongly, uh, you know, the the words he chose to dismiss analytics, but you'll remember the Titans for the longest time were one of, uh, Paul Koharski will remind everyone, because I think he had had followed for a long time. They were like at the time, one of two or three teams that didn't even have a role on staff that used the word analytics. In the job title, they were one of the last teams to hire an analytics guy. So, And then when they did, it was like one guy, right? And you you weren't quite sure um, what he was doing. So uh, I I think that's my biggest takeaway, is this era of the Tennessee Titans seems is going to be a lot more open to the use of analytics, not only in-game analytics, but also obviously in in the pre-draft scouting world. And I'm going to build on that by uh, talking about what you said about collaboration. I think that was one of my favorite takeaways from the press conference, because in all honesty... We know, you know, controlling owner, Miss Amy Adams Strunk, she had discussed wanting to find a general manager that could collaborate with Mike Vrabel. And we all think Mike Vrabel is a terrific head coach and is, is is likely here for the long haul. So, you, you You worry to a degree if you like Mike Vrabel. Um, When you hire a new GM, it's not abnormal for someone to want to come in and hire their own guy, right? Like, I remember when, you know, John Robinson came in and he agreed to work with Mike Malarkey and then fired him after one year, right? And, And clearly wanted to insert his own head coach and hired Mike Vrabel. So. You certainly always worry that that's a possibility because, look, and and to a degree, I get it. When you're a new GM coming in, it's a high-pressure position, just like head coaches. If I'm going to get fired after three or four years, I better have at least hired my own head coach. I don't want to look back and say, damn it, I wish I hired a guy I trusted instead of just inheriting some guy and letting my job security ride on the job that he did coaching the team. So that's always a possibility. But... I do think the situation's a little different in Tennessee where you have an excellent coach in Mike Vrabel. I I don't know you're ready to put him on this pedestal yet, but no one gets the GM job in Pittsburgh and says, well, I got to fire Mike Tomlin, right? Or no one gets the GM job and say with the Rams and fire Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or Bill Bilichak, right? I certainly think he's sort of in that stratosphere of of head coaches, Mike Vrabel is. So uh, well. I thought that was a fear, I I do think the situation is special here in Tennessee. And I'm even more encouraged now um, after his press conference that he seems to be very excited about inheriting a head coach like Mike Vrabel. In all honesty, hopefully he views it as a bonus. You know, I've got a terrific head coach already in place, makes my job easier. I love that he talked about at one point, he said, my job is to build the team that Mike Vrabel wants to coach, right? The team that Mike Vrabel believes he could have success with. Uh, I'm going to take him at his word. You know, you know typ- Typically, NFL personnel guy, you know, great liars, right? They make great talkers. But I, I think Rand was serious when uh, he spoke so highly of Mike Vrabel. And I'm excited to see the partnership they're about to form. And to add to that quickly, I was about to finish, but... Uh, when you, you talked about his years spent with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Jeff Fisher was the head coach of the Rams, right? At the time, I think, when, when Rand uh, arrived in Los Angeles. And they've been interviewing Jeff Fisher a little bit in the Nashville, Tennessee market oh, uh, since Rand got the job. And, and Jeff Fisher uh, felt very strongly about the collaboration between Rand and, and Mike Grable. He went as far as saying, uh, My record as the franchise's all time winningest head coach is going to fall. Uh, during this tenor. That's how strongly I feel about the relationship that Ran and Mike are gonna have. Says he views them as very similar people and sees it working. Again, Jeff Fisher could be talking out of his butt for all we know, but I thought that was interesting and certainly encouraging.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's just such a contrast to John Robinson era, which you know, we thought all along, you know, every time Mike Rabel would be asked about something, he'd say, Hey, well John and I meet every day and we talk about the roster, and we talk about lots of things, and like we had this sense that they were very collaborative. But ever since the trade of A.J. Brown, it has kind of felt like John Robinson was a little bit doing his own thing or just like dismissing what other people were suggesting or advising and kind of just like saying, well, I'm the general manager and I'm the Vice President of Football Operations, I'm going to do what I think is best and kind of ignore what everyone else is saying. I don't think that is going to be how Rand Carthon runs this team at all. I want to get to another big takeaway that I had from this press conference. Somebody asked him about the future of Ryan Tannehill and his status with the Titans. And he's. I think the question was, will Ryan Tannehill be your starting quarterback next year? And he basically said, I need to evaluate that more. Like, I'm not going to answer that right now, which is very. I mean, it's kind of telling about how I think it's an honest answer. But also, we hear all the time how general managers or head coaches will commit to a quarterback and then three months later draft. You know, like. We have mentioned this on the pod before with the Arizona Cardinals committing to Josh Rosen. And three months later, they draft Kyler Murray, number one overall. Like this kind of stuff is common in the NFL to just say what you're supposed to say in the moment to keep everyone happy. He didn't do that. He said, I need to watch my own tape. I need to form my own opinion. And then I'll get together with Mike Vrabel and we'll discuss, you know, the best way to move forward with this roster. But the quarterback position is such an important position. He even said, people in this league get hired and fired every day over that position. So, I don't know if this means that the Titans are going to stick with Ryan Tannehill. I don't know if it means they're going to move on from Ryan Tannehill, but the position will be evaluated, which I think is worth noting, especially as the Titans sit, you know, with the 11th overall pick and uh, you know three pretty high-level quarterback prospects that will probably all be drafted in the top five or six. But could the Titans make a move to go get one of those guys? You know, Car- Carthon was there two years ago when the Niners made a huge move to go get Trey Lance. We'll see what they decide to do. But I definitely thought it was interesting that he didn't commit to Tannehill as the starter for 2023.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he answered it the way he should, right? He just got there, too, right? Let, let the guy get his feet wet a little bit before he's making quarterback decisions, right? Like, it's a big decision to make, and I, I imagine him and Vrabel will sit down and discuss it. The way I see it, nothing's changed for me. Uh, the Titans have three options at quarterback this summer, in my opinion. Maybe you, you throw a fourth in there, but uh, I, I do find it very interesting because I, I really don't know which way they're going to go, and those options are to reload around Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and, and give this thing one last go. Uh, certainly, I think if they do that, they they do it the right way. Of course, they could compete for the division title, in my opinion, or it's to, you know, go get a veteran like Tom Brady. I say Tom Brady because I don't see them dumping uh, Ryan Tannehill for like a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, you know, the, the Garoppolo thing almost gets a, a little more legs because obviously he'd be coming from San Francisco. But I still think if they're going to dump Tannehill, it would only be for like a, a Tom Brady veteran option I mean and then thirdly I would say it's what you said right to trade up and go get a quarterback to go get a Will Levis a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud all three of which I expect to get drafted in the top 10 if not the top five or six uh, like like you just alluded to would you throw Trey Lance in there as a fourth option that's been getting a lot of buzz on social media I'd be surprised if that was the case in all honesty but I guess you can't totally rule it out same thing I said about Jimmy Garoppolo um before we move on, I think from 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 Ran and, and the general manager hire, uh, can I, I want to say one last thing about something I've seen get a lot of traction on Twitter. And I don't mean to throw a wet blanket on it, but uh, you know uh, what was the title Ran held in San Francisco? This past? he had two different titles, right? When he first got there, he was dir- and then uh, when he was there recently, he started as the director of pro personnel. Which you know, yep.
0: if for people who don't know what that means, he's more. Um, in charge of looking at players who are already in the league free agents potential draft uh, potential trade acquisitions but you know scouting pro players who are already playing in the NFL right. and then he was promoted to director of player personnel, which still includes the pro side but also then wraps in the the college side and the scouting and drafting side of things. so I mean he was overseeing the player acquisition, Department of the 49ers, obviously he had a boss and John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan has a huge say in the roster in San Francisco. But that, I mean, yeah, that answers your question, I think. Continue your point.
1: Yeah. And that's, sorry, I just couldn't remember the two official titles. I knew that that's, that, that was what he held. But I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talk about how that role that he played typically has a a hand, a larger hand in the late round draft picks, right? The fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. And that makes sense. I'm not debunking that, right? It's certainly general manager, head coach, assistant GM, maybe feel a little bit more strongly or a little bit more collaborative on those first, second, third round picks. And then when you start, you know, getting through the weeds in those later rounds, you start leaning on your scouting staff a bit more, your director of, of player personnel, as you mentioned. And the 49ers have had a lot of success in the, in the, later rounds. And I saw Ran on Twitter getting a lot of uh, you know praise for that. You talk about your George Kittles, your Elijah Mitchells, who we talked about earlier on this episode, even guys like uh, Talanoa Hufunga, right, who's turned into a really good safety there. I'm sure I'm missing one or two guys, but the, the point is they have had a lot of success in the later rounds. And I don't want to I'm not throwing any shade at Titans fans for getting excited about that. But I saw so many Titans fans jumping on Twitter talking about, oh my God, look at all these guys ran health drafts in the fourth, fifth, sixth, even seventh round. You this is going to be so awesome. John Robinson did a pretty good job finding guys in those rounds. <laughs> right? Like it, 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 John Robinson didn't get fired because he didn't find talent in fourth, fifth, David Long, I go back as far as Jayon Brown. Kevin Byard was a third-round pick. He, I know, third round, but still, you don't expect to get a Kevin Byard in the third round. UDFA success, T.R. Tart, Aaron Brewer. John Robinson did a great job navigating those late rounds. He got fired because he couldn't navigate the first and second round, right? right? Like, that's what Rand's got to come here and do, is draft good players in the first and second round and resign those players to second contracts, right? Like, John Robinson got fired because of, obviously, the A.J. Brown trade's a big one, but drafting, you know... Caleb Farley didn't help. Isaiah Wilson didn't help. D- Darrington Evans didn't help. The, the jury might still be out on Dylan Radens, but right now, after a second year and tearing his ACL, is closer to joining that group right than he is joining a success story. So, Titans got to find some success drafting in the first and second round, right, as opposed to just right. fourth, fifth, and sixth round. And, and for with Rand being a first-time general manager, this is probably going to be the first time that he's had a, a, an overwhelming say. Um, when, when it comes to uh, drafting first and second round players. So don't get too excited about the fourth, fifth, sixth round picks because Titans have had success in those rounds. It's the, it's the first half success, that uh, the lack of first rounds and second round success that has sort of uh, barrened this roster, so to speak, right? And is a, a large reason John Robinson got fired. When you look at the roster and you look at the lack of talent, you see all those misses in the early rounds. And I will say, if you want to disagree with me, if you think Rand had an overwhelming say In the first, second round, if he does trade up for a quarterback again, I hope they do a better job this time around because Trey Lance does not look like the real deal in San Francisco right now.
0: Right, absolutely, and that's a great point. I'm glad you said that because I've been thinking the same thing. Like it's, it's also not all on Rand Carthon to draft well in the fourth to the seventh rounds. It's like you're leaning on your scouting staff, which you know, admittedly, John Robinson did as well. And as we go into the 2023 draft, that scouting staff is basically intact as it was when John Robinson was the general manager, if the Titans do overhaul that staff in that process, you know, and Rand Carthon talked about how, like, he's going to get up to speed on the Titans processes because it's easier for one person to learn a new way than for 23 people to learn a new way. He used a quote like that. So the Titans will possibly overhaul their scouting staff and and the, the department and how everything's run after this draft. So you would yes. think that, you know, the scouts in place who drafted guys like David Long and Amani Hooker and Dane Kirkshank or whatever are still there and could potentially do the same thing in this draft. All right, let's move on, I think, to another hire that was announced. And I don't think this is officially, like the Titans Twitter account hasn't announced this, it's, like the website hasn't announced this, but largely it has been reported that the Titans will be hiring Chris Harris as their defensive backs coach. And uh, Chris Harris, a former safety in the NFL, played, I think, seven or eight seasons in the NFL. He started his coaching career with the Chicago Bears as a defensive quality control coach for two seasons. He then spent four seasons in uh, San Diego and then Los Angeles with the Chargers as an assistant defensive backs coach. And since the 2020 season, he's been the defensive backs coach in Washington. The Titans obviously have a, a vacancy at their defensive backs coaching position and it it appears they have offered the job to Chris Harris and the report was that he intends to sign, hasn't signed quite yet, and could be a guy that, you know, leaves in a year or two for a defensive coordinator role himself. He's a a fast-rising coach on the defensive side of the ball, but not only will he be the defensive backs coach, according to the reports, he will be the Titans defensive passing game coordinator. Titans obviously had the worst passing defense in the NFL this past season by statistics. They need a better defensive passing game coordination, and they need better play from their defensive backs. Although, you know, they, they've gotten pretty good play from a lot of those guys, but we've seen too many breakdowns, I think. And so we'll see if Chris Harris can come in and make things a bit better.
1: Yeah. Quick thoughts on Chris Harris. When the interest was first reported in him, I speculated, I don't know if I'm right, but I would, I would like to wager that I am because I speculated I wonder if they could offer him like a defensive passing game coordinator position and alongside to making him the defensive backs coach as a way of blocking the, of, sorry, of preventing the commanders from blocking their request, right? To interview him, because if it was just defensive backs coach, that's a lateral move. He's already the defensive backs coach in Washington, which means Washington could block um, that t- t- Titans request to interview him. Now I, I say that because I don't know for a fact if that's the difference, like Washington is unable to block the request because it's for a passing game coordinator, which is considered a step up. Uh, but I, I would assume it is. And that's potentially why the Titans want him to double as their defensive passing game coordinator and their uh, uh, cornerbacks coach. I think Chris Harris is uh, a monumental upgrade on Anthony Midget. in all honesty. I think he did a really good job in Washington. If you go look at the numbers this year, I think they finished second in like passing yards allowed per game or total net passing yards allowed throughout the course of the season. I don't know a lot of Titans fans can name many corners that play in Washington. Like uh, the, the impression I've gotten, and I've spoken to some people in that market, I have friends that cover the team, The impression is Chris Harris did a great job while not working with a ton of, uh, you know, thoroughbred talent in Washington. I do think he's going to be a defensive coordinator very soon in this league, and you are probably going to lose him after a year or two. He ha- to my knowledge, he has not interviewed for any defensive coordinator openings this year. When I say to my knowledge uh, that it hasn't been, re- if he has interviewed, it hasn't been reported. I'm not saying that I don't know for a fact. There- there's nothing out there that says Chris Harris has interviewed for a defensive coordinator opening. So the wording of that report, where he intends to sign if he doesn't get a defensive coordinator job, pretty safe to assume he's not getting one this year because he hasn't interviewed for any. Again, to our knowledge, but he did interview for the Indianapolis Colts last year before they hired Gus Bradley. And I believe he once interviewed with the Green Bay Packers before they hired, I think it's Joe Barry that they have there in Green Bay. Um, So this is a guy that's ascended through the coaching ranks really quickly. He has a hell of a reputation around the league. I was never a huge fan of Anthony Midget. in all honesty. I think this is going to be a home run hire and I'm excited to see what he could do with, he's going to, he's inheriting a young cornerback room, right? Guys like Christian Fulton who can, you know, hopefully stay healthier and take that next step. Obviously a big year for a guy like Caleb Farley in his third year and a big year for a guy like Elijah Molden in his third year after he essentially did not play. Um, this year as a sophomore. So I think this is a home run hire. Assuming it gets finalized, all indications are it's going to be finalized. I think you've got a future defensive coordinator on staff and Chris Harris. That's always a good thing.
0: Absolutely. And uh, let's flip over to the other side of the ball, or or I guess before we leave the defense, we should briefly mention Jim Schwartz has been hired as the defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. Nobody really knows what Jim Schwartz's role was. Apparently, he helped a lot with the red zone defense. Titans have been pretty good on defense in the red zone since they hired Jim Schwartz. Obviously, his hiring uh, timing wise lined up with the turnaround from like the worst third down defense in NFL history that the Titans fielded in the 2020 season to being a lot better on third down. So you could possibly credit him with that turnaround, or you could just credit the Titans having a lot better personnel on defense. Hard to know exactly where, I mean, it's probably a combination of both, but will the Titans miss Jim Schwartz? Maybe a little bit, maybe not. It's uh, Again, it's hard to say. Obviously, he was able to point to some things that he did in Tennessee in his interview with the Browns to get that job. So, maybe he did do a little more than anyone would give him credit for as Titans fans who want to say like oh we're not losing anything
1: but um well it, yeah so, I think Jim, Jim Schwartz, Schwartz I think Jim Schwartz's resume speaks for itself though even prior to becoming a defensive yeah. assistant for the Titans right like amazing defensive coordinator with the Eagles had a stint with the Bills Not a bad stint as the Lions head coach, in all honesty, when you look back at it. And obviously, a previous really good stint as the Titans defensive coordinator for seven years in the early 2000s. They asked Mike Vrabel about Jim Schwartz uh, during, uh, I think it was Rand's introductory press conference. And I thought Vrabel did a good job summarizing, in all honesty, that, I mean, Schwartz helped, but probably didn't do a ton, right? He said, he was, when Jim came here to Tennessee with us. It was a good fit because he didn't have at that time in his life, the time to commit to being a defensive coordinator. So that just goes to tell you, He wasn't in the building as long as Shane Bowen was working 12, 13 hours every day, a senior defensive assistant. It really is. I don't, you know, it's not a, you're not going to call it a part-time, any job in the NFL is very serious, but clearly he's assisting with things that didn't uh, require the time commitment that is required of a defensive coordinator. He said it was a really good break for Jim's to get away from sort of the, the, The grind of being a defensive coordinator, but now he's ready to jump back into that grind after two years at, you know, taking some time off as a senior defensive assistant and he got the job in Cleveland. So I don't think the Titans are going to miss Jim Schwartz a ton in all honesty, just based on Mike Rabel's answer. Um, Certainly, you know, again, probably some collaboration can come up with some good ideas, help with red zone defense. All I really want to say about this is loved having Jim Schwartz uh, in Tennessee. Again, best of luck to him in Cleveland. He's a hell of a defensive coordinator. Not a bad job he's inheriting getting to coach Miles Garrett over there.
0: Right. So congrats to Jim Schwartz. He will be missed. Maybe uh, Chris Harris can come in and, and fill some of that. Whatever um, advisement Schwartz was was giving to this team. Okay, flipping now to the offensive side of the ball. The Titans have you know some some in house candidates to replace Todd Downing as offensive coordinator. We haven't gotten any more news that you know since we talked to the last time last Monday about potentially Eric Bieniemy, Matt Nagy. Um, Nothing really has come further on either of those two guys. Nothing has come out about Todd Monken and being connected to the Titans. So we don't really know. Where what the Titans' shortlist of offensive coordinator candidates looks like, we obviously had assumed that Tim Kelly would be a prime in-house candidate. It was reported uh, last week that Tim Kelly is the the top in-house candidate to replace Todd Downing. A guy that nobody really thought of, though, maybe would be tight ends coach Luke Steckel, who has been had a request to be interviewed for the op- open offensive coordinator position in uh, Sandy. Or sorry, let me take that back who has been requested by the Chargers to interview for their now-vacant offensive coordinator position. I don't know anything about Luke Steckel, but it looks like, you know, Titans tight ends coaches go on to become offensive coordinators at a pretty high rate. And while we're on the subject, I mean, I'll, we're going to talk about all this just to get it all out there. Tim Kelly, who was hired this past season as the Titans passing game coordinator, there have been reports, uh, at least on Twitter and stuff, that that was more of a like a title than it was an actual job. Just kind of like being nice to Tim Kelly, like we'll give you a fancy title. So it looks like you're doing more. Where, you know, it's been reported that he spent most of his time at the open portions of practices with the tight ends. Was Tim Kelly just like a glorified tight ends coach for this team? Obviously, like the offensive coordinator got fired. So you'd think that the passing game coordinator w- wouldn't be that highly thought of either because, you know, presumably he would work very closely with the offensive coordinator to coordinate the passing game, which was terrible for the Titans this past season. <laughs> So who knows what is up with this, but uh, Luke Steckle will will interview for the Chargers job. Is he a candidate in-house to replace Todd Downing? We don't know. Is Tim Kelly an actually highly regarded candidate in Tennessee? We don't really know, but that is basically where things stand on the offensive coordinator front.
1: Yeah, I'll get some thoughts out on this. I think Tim Kelly is sitting somewhere going, "You're absolutely right. I had nothing to do with this passing game. It was a glorified title. I I didn't have my blue my my thumbprints on it whatsoever." And and he, he could be right in all honesty if you were to say that cuz we we have heard those reports that it was more of a glorified title. It also helps them sort of uh, justify a salary if they you know they want to pay him a certain uh, a certain figure uh but uh it it, it was notable that it was finally reported that he is a strong in-house candidate. I think it was Tom Pellicero that said, Tim Kelly is the strongest in-house candidate in Tennessee. The only re- We felt that was going to be the case, but the only reason it was notable, in my opinion, is it hadn't been said yet. It hadn't been reported that they had interviewed Tim Kelly or that they were even considering him as a candidate. So I do think it's important for us to get confirmation that he is indeed a candidate for this job. Tom Pellicero's report essentially confirmed that. Um, on the topic of Luke Steckel. That did really kind of blindside us this morning, right? Monday morning where the Chargers have submitted a request to interview him. He's 37 years old, uh, I think graduated from Princeton, so obviously a very smart mind. He He's played football. He attended Brentwood in Nashville, so he attended high school locally. Uh, before he went off to Brentwood. I believe his dad, he he played football uh, collegially. His dad, I think, was uh, an NFL coach as well. So NFL bloodlines here, smart guy, Princeton ascending, obviously 37 years old. You mentioned Titans tight ends coach, Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, offensive coordinator, Luke Steckel future Chargers offensive coordinator, we don't know. It's interesting that we haven't heard any in-house uh, reports regarding the Titans' interest in Luke Steckle. And here he is getting a request from outside the organization, an organization that employs Justin Herbert at quarterback. like. I want to be the offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Chargers. Like, I think everybody that talk about a fast track to potentially becoming a head coach if you go there and experience success, which you really should because you have Justin Herbert, right? Like, it's a hell of a job. It's the best offensive coordinator opening by far in the NFL. The Chargers do seem to be casting a wide net, so I don't know that he's going to be a front runner. They're interviewing Zach Robinson, the uh, the quarterback's coach of the Los Angeles Rams, who does have a, a, a startling reputation around the league and is expected to be an offensive coordinator sooner rather than later. But that Luke Steckel thing definitely caught me off guard. It makes you wonder if the Titans are going to be like, hey, wait a second, maybe we should be interviewing him. But all kidding aside, uh, Titans know, know more about Luke Steckel than any team in the league. So if they have not decided to interview him, then you would like to think that they, they know what they're doing and they're making a, a strong decision uh, there. The last thing I want to say about the offensive coordinator uh, opening is Mike Rabel during, the, again, I think it was the same press conference. I think he's only had one, right? Where they introduced yeah. Ran as GM. Um, I did think there was one quote that was really interesting. They asked him about offensive coordinator, and he said, "We've spoken to a lot of candidates for our offensive coordinator opening." So, is he referring to the likes of? It could be, you know, Matt Nagy, Eric Bieniemy. Uh, we do know they interviewed Charles London, right, the right. quarterbacks coach with the Atlanta Falcons, who I, I have a feeling is the front runner, uh, and of course Tim Kelly, who who we just mentioned, right, and and maybe Luke Steckel. We don't know. That's four potentially four surefire candidates. Potentially five. Um, so is he just referring to those guys or has Mike Vrabel potentially spoken to someone um, that went unreported? I don't think that's impossible. I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility that the Titans were able to conduct an interview for this OC opening uh, and it went unreported. I don't. I thought Mike Vrabel's comment on that was really interesting. It opened my mind to the possibility that there could be a candidate or two they've already spoken to that we don't know about.
0: I would say that it's likely that they have spoken to one or two or more candidates that have never been reported. We know that the uh, the national media breaks more of this kind of news than the local guys for the Titans. So if the if nobody reported it, it wouldn't shock me that it happened. I don't know, you know, where they stand with some of these other candidates. Eric Bieniemy interviewed for the Colts head coaching job. I'm not sure if he's doing any other interviews for offensive coordinator. I think there was I think maybe the Ravens
1: submitted a request, right, I think.
0: I think there was a report about the Ravens there, but um, you know, if it's between coaching Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and coaching uh an older Ryan Tannehill and the Titans, I don't know. I think I would probably choose to go coach Lamar Jackson if you turn Lamar Jackson into an elite passer the way that he's already an elite runner and a good passer, but make him an elite passer. I think that really strengthens the resume for a potential head coaching job. You know, if he's, he can say he did it with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, I can make any young quarterback into a star that might be a better option for him, but you know, the Ravens would have to decide to hire him. Obviously the chiefs are still in the playoffs um, and they'll be hosting their fifth consecutive AFC championship game, which is just completely bonkers uh, this weekend. So BNME won't be leaving the Chiefs anytime soon. If he is potentially the Titans front runner at Canada as their choice, we may not know. And they may not, there may not be a hire taking place until after the Chiefs playoff run ends, potentially Super Bowl run ends. So there could be a few weeks away still from finding out who the Titans want to hire as offensive coordinator. And I think the worst thing that could happen is that BNME is their top choice. He takes a different job or decides to stay in Kansas City. And then the Titans are left scrambling for their second or third choice three weeks from now with so many offensive coordinator openings in the NFL, you know, including the head coaching openings that are like teams that don't have head coaches need office coordinators. And then there's a, like what, eight or nine other teams that also need offensive coordinators. Yeah. So,
1: few, te- few teams here, I'm just going to tell it how it is. few teams are going to be hiring their fourth choice offensive coordinator, right? <laughs> with the amount of openings that are around them. Not everyone's going to get their uh, first choice here. Some people are going to have to settle.
0: Yeah, and hopefully the Titans aren't one of those teams. But, you know, it's all kind of a vague mystery at this point because we don't know where things stand with that search outside of what Mike Vrabel said that they've talked to a bunch of candidates. So, um, yeah, I think that is it for the Titans update. So before we go, we got to hit our Beef of the Week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. And this week, Justin, um, I do this a lot, but I'm turning it to you to tell me what is your Beef of the Week?
1: Yeah, this was going to be a tough one for me because I also enjoyed it. So I don't know that it's my beef of the week. uh, It's a beef of the week, but I enjoyed it. So I'm happy it happened. Uh, Was it Jared Stillman who asked about Craig Ockerman's job uh, security during the rant? First of all, what a silly question to ask at a a GM's introductory press conference, right? Like, I can't believe that's what's on your mind. But anyway, Stillman asks about uh, Craig Ackerman's uh, job security, and Mike Vrabel just flat out embarrassed him in all honesty. right? He talked about how, he was, we, I would say 100 times, we were third in uh, net yardage, in, uh, punt, sorry, punt return yards, net yards. We were third. And I think he said at 10 times, we were third, Jared, we were third place. Okay, and, and then I think he looked over at Rand and smiled and said, Rand's got to go get us some guys that can catch the football. On punt returns, right? But we when we did return the ball, we had a lot of success doing it. So I thought it was really funny that that Jared went to an introductory press conference for a general manager. Such a, a exciting time to ask good hard-nosed questions as they're asking about the special teams coordinator like if Craig Ackerman wasn't fired with Todd Downing and Anthony Midget and, and Keith Carter by the way then he's probably not going to be fired right like, I don't know why we're asking about Craig Ockerman's job security two weeks after all those coaches were fired and we're asking it at when they're introducing it, the new GM like such great opportunities for questions there and credit a lot of people ask great questions right about analytics about Ryan Tannehill about running the football all the stuff we covered on this podcast but here we are asking about Craig Ockerman's job security and special teams. Teams. I thought it was ridiculous. And I really enjoyed that Mike Vrabel took that opportunity. And he said, if, we're, and, and if you notice, Mike Vrabel almost squared up, right? He was like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's lay out the facts. And then let's have some back and forth dialogue on this question, right? Here are the numbers on where we ranked in, in, in punt return yardage. And this is why, and essentially saying, this is why your question is stupid. I thought it was funny. My beef of the week is with that question, but I'm so glad it happened because it was very entertaining. Might have been one of the most entertaining moments of the press conference, in all honesty.
0: Right. I'm going to go a totally different direction, but I am. I will say before I get there, anytime you choose Jared, Jared Stillman as your beef of the week candidate, I think that that is, like, that is always going to be a pretty good choice. I'm going to go... I'm going to take a shot here at a guy who does really great work for Broadway Sports Media. He's the the director of published content for Broadway Sports Media, the host of the Hot Read podcast, which you should check out if you're not listening to. Easton Freeze tweeted on Saturday morning that he will be rooting hard for the Jags because he thinks that the Titans and Chiefs have a better, better rivalry than the Titans and Jaguars do, largely based on the fact that the Titans have dominated the rivalry for, you know, in the recent history, even when as far as to compare it to Michigan, Ohio State, um, and and to say that that's not as big of a rivalry anymore, which because uh, Ohio State's been dominating, even though Michigan has now won two years in a row in that rivalry game, which, by the way, is the same number of games the Jags have won in a row for the Titans. Uh, I don't know what Easton was thinking here, rooting for the Jags. Like, I don't understand the mentality that I want to root for like my conference or my division to represent my teams. It's like, anytime I have a chance to see my rival fail, I'm gonna be rooting for my rival to fail. So Easton, I don't know why you think the Chiefs are a bigger rival for the Titans and the Jags. You know, they play the Jags twice a year every year. The Chiefs are in a different division. Yeah, they're they're you know the the peak of the conference right now in the AFC. Again, hosting their fifth straight AFC championship game. So I can see you like wanting them to lose because they've been so successful, but not over a division rival. My beef of the week is, is with Easton for rooting for the Jags when you know all we need to see is the Jags fail. Like I don't want to see anything but failure from all three other AFC South teams. I don't care if it makes the AFC South the worst division in football and the Titans get less respect for it. Those teams need to fail. End of story.
1: <laughs> That is such a great choice. Shout out to our good buddy, Easton Freeze. I know he can handle the shit we're giving him right now. Living up to his last name, right? With a freezing cold take that was on Twitter. Um, And you know what? Let's send out our condolences to him. I heard he was beat up all week long after the Jacksonville Jaguars lost that game to the Kansas City Chiefs. I heard, I can't confirm, but I heard... He ate through four pints of ice cream. It was like he was going through a breakup when Jacksonville lost that game. Shout out to Easton Freeze. We're so sorry that Jacksonville lost. I hope you can still get a refund on the Trevor Lawrence jersey he ordered and the Doug Peterson foam finger he got on NFLshop.com. Sorry, Easton, but that was a freezing cold take, and it's a worthy inclusion to our beef of the week. uh I imagine Rob – When Rob does his Twitter terrible takes, probably going to make an appearance there too. So Easton's going to get a lot of coverage on this one.
0: Yeah. And sorry, Easton, that I had to throw you under the bus for this beef of the week (laughs) presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. But as Melo said, we know you can take it. So we hope it's all good there. All right. That will do it for this episode of the Music City Audible podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you're following Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Make sure you're following me at Titans Film Room. I assume you are if you're listening to this podcast because most of our Promotion does come from Twitter, so probably already following us. But if you aren't, hit the follow button and maybe tell like five Titans friend fans that you have uh, t- Titans fan friends that you have to also follow us because we would appreciate growing this podcast as much as we can. Head over to BroadwaySportsMedia.com and become a Broadway Insider today for tons of exclusive and awesome content that that team is churning out.
1: Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's six ninety nine a month. You could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just 99 cents or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, Uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, f Pod. Uh, It's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it.
0: And make sure you check out all the other podcasts and content Broadway has to offer. All right, that's it. We will be back next week. Maybe we'll have an update on the Titans offensive coordinator. Probably not. If we do, we'll get into it. If we don't, we will start covering the biggest needs that this team has this offseason as we approach the end of the 2022 season officially. Conference Championship weekend will be over by the next time we record. We'll only have the Super Bowl left and that'll be a couple weeks away so we'll start getting into where this team needs to improve over the next few months until then you guys stay safe out there and tighten up
1: a broadway sports media production